0: Let's just have a short prayer before we begin. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful to be here this week at camp for the privilege to be together as your people, and also for the privilege to be able to look into your word and to learn together. And, Heavenly Father, we know that the forum this morning is one that is of great importance and close to your Father heart, and that you want to bring all men to the knowledge of the truth, and we pray that as we would meet here together, that we could be encouraged in the Great Commission. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. To welcome all of you here this morning, Um, this does seem to be like a subject that keeps coming up uh, time and time again. And um, we all recognize very much the need to follow through with the Great Commission that we should be going out into all the world, unto all nations, teaching them, baptizing them, and bringing the gospel message to them. And typically we think of that as being the mission field, foreign countries. But as I pointed out this morning, um, more and more so we recognize that there's a great mission field all around us. And in Acts, we can read that the early apostles were empowered to and instructed by Jesus himself that they should um, go out. And it says, into Jerusalem, into Judea, or into Samaria, and then unto the uttermost parts of the world. And I think that there's a a concept there that we need to recognize and that we need to, as we, we already know, reach out more around us. So this forum is one. In which, which one? <laughs> I've never done this before. <laughs> Next. Okay. One in which um, we want to focus on how we can um, reach out a little bit more and do so in a practical way. And I'd like to say, just as this first um, screen here indicates, I know that many of you are involved in many different um, things, many of them on a personal level, serving the Lord, doing good to people. Spreading the gospel message not only in words but also in actions and things that you do. All of these being examples of them. And uh, even our churches, you know, we we have VBS, we have special events, you know, where we might have an evangelistic service um, and invite people in, but often it's a one time thing. We'll have a special group that comes in maybe to sing some songs and, and we rally a lot of people together, but not quite often something that is on an ongoing basis. And uh, I guess the focus of our forum here this morning is one in which we um, focus on perhaps some things that, that we could be encouraged to do on, in, in groups, as a church, on an ongoing basis in getting the message out to those that need it. Obviously, we do talk that we should do more and recognize that all of us um, you know, can, can do more. As we look around the world, um, our society, we recognize that things are getting very dark and the need um, is becoming more and more evident for um, the message of the gospel and God's love being shed abroad in people's lives. These are just a few statistics that you know, you can see here a 72% increase um, over the last decade in households that are headed by unmarried partners. Um, it gives you a glimpse of, of what is going on there. This last statistic, 50% of children that are living today will spend um, at least part of their life in a single-parent home. Um, Dr. James Dobson says this, What will happen if marriage does indeed become obsolete or largely irrelevant in the days ahead? It pretends a world where almost every child will have several moms and dads, perhaps six or eight grandparents, and dozens of half-siblings. It will be a world where little boys and girls are shuffled from pillar to post in an ever-changing pattern of living arrangements. And it certainly... Um, strikes home the realization that the world that we live in is very much different from the one that Brother Bob talked about, um, you know, of 30, 40 years ago. Go ahead. Pardon? Okay. Sorry. Um, go ahead. Next. As we look into our society, we see that things are really. Um, going you know downhill, just all of these things the moral decay, the crime, abortion, um, you know values that are changing, materialism, and also the fact that nowadays many people are unchurched. things have changed drastically from what they were years ago when people did have a connection to church and to God in our society, um, many people. Um, although they're not atheists and would never say they are, and many of them would say they're actually Christians, the truth is that God has really very little relevance in their lives and certainly uh, no control over where their lives are headed or what's going on. And so they're out there wandering. Not that they're anti-God, but they're certainly not uh, for him in many ways. And at the same time, we see a large increase in, in various cults and, as I mentioned this morning, movements, um, there are those, Islam is on the uprise, there are those that are coming to fill that void, that vacuum that exists out there as we look at our own churches we see some disturbing things happening as well namely that you know, we have um, not only plateaued in our growth but in many cases there seems to be a decline in many of our churches and uh, that is a disturbing trend um, there's various reasons for that, but we also see in a lot of our churches that there's, I think, an overemphasis of, of inward-looking and focusing on, on you know, ourselves and, and, and the problems that are there instead of seeing the bigger picture and the need that so many are lost and, and without Christ. Um, in a nutshell, it's very obvious that North America is indeed... You know, a very ripe mission field, one in which, as the Bible says, Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, look on the fields, for they are white, are ready to harvest. In this next uh, statistic that um, I'd like to read here, George Barna's research, George Barna is an institute that does a lot of research into uh, trends uh, as they relate to Christianity, They reveal that if a child hasn't been introduced to Jesus Christ by the time he or she is 14, there's only a 4% chance that such conversion will happen between ages 14 and 18, and a 6% chance that it will occur in the remainder of life. Some of the things that we're going to be sharing with you this morning do relate to ministries that are geared towards children. Not to say that uh, there isn't a whole other... Um, you know, everybody needs the gospel, everybody needs the Lord. But this is a very critical one, because children, um, if they can be reached with the gospel, if those seeds can be planted at an early age, there certainly is a much better chance that as they grow older, and the Bible teaches that as well, that uh, they will be influenced by the gospel and, and hopefully believe it as well. What we would like to do now is just to share with you a number of examples of ministries that are going on in some of our churches, and not in any way trying to um, lift these up as being something that is special or unique, but rather being something to encourage all of you that see the need, perhaps have a desire to do something, and, you know maybe are looking for some ideas. So we'd like to share some things that are actually happening talk about them a little bit, and then also share some other ideas, perhaps, that, that, of things that can be done by churches, by you know, individual and groups within a church. And these are, are suggestions that would be not just one-time um, events, so to speak, but something that is on an ongoing basis as a ministry. So the first one that uh, we're going to um, be talking about here, Sister Marie Gerhart uh, from North Phoenix is going to share about a youth outreach that has been going on there for some time.
1: Hello, everyone. Um, Like you said, my name is Marie Gerhart. For those of you who don't know me, I'm from North Phoenix. And we have a um, outreach that we've had implemented in North Phoenix for about 10 years. It was started by um, Brother Richard uh, Jankov and Margie, his wife, who are now in Worcester. We miss them greatly. But it was originally started as a basketball outreach Um, I believe when they started this, they were trying to find something that the church could have in common with the community, and that with many young people is sports, and uh, we have the Phoenix Suns, which we're very proud of most of the time, and that was basketball. That's what all the guys and even the girls in the community like to do, so we would gather the kids. Um, It's about a 10-week thing that we have in the fall and in the spring, for lack of um, cool weather, and... They gather at around 3.30, 4 o'clock on Fridays. And we have them for about four hours, depending on how old or young the kids and how long their parents will let them stay. And we get together, and it's kind of like a free-for-all. <clears throat> we play games with them. Like I said, it started as basketball, but now we've kind of transitioned into some a variety of sports. Um, we'll play soccer. We'll have crafts for some of the girls who aren't um, into as athletics as much. And At around dinner time, we'll serve pizza or we'll have dinner with the kids, just trying to get to know them. Um, We really strongly try to encourage and um, good play, sharing. Um, When you're dealing with children who haven't been brought up in a Christian home or a very moral home, it's often difficult when you have a lot of them. Um, So we encourage, you know, godly examples in our own children who are there playing with them. We have a dinner, and then we all gather for a focus time. And if they stay for dinner, they have to stay for focus. And focus is just a 10-minute um, talk that one of the brothers will have about Jesus, trying to teach them, plant a seed somewhere in their lives. Um, most of them come from broken homes. Try to plant something in their lives that when their life falls apart, when their life perhaps maybe falls apart, um, they'll have a place to come. After focus, then we have a little bit more play, and then they're free to go. We have children anywhere from the ages of 10 years old to 25 years old. And we have a lot of kids It's very well supported by our community, which we're very thankful for. Um, we probably have 25% of the kids are our own, and 75% are neighborhood children. On any given week, we'll have anywhere from 10 to 50, 60 kids, it just kind of depends on what's going on in the community, what's going on in their own lives. Um, The kids really look forward to it. We send out flyers to promote it so they know more about it. Um, A lot of the kids come from broken homes, and it's sad and heart-wrenching. At the same time, it's frustrating dealing with them because they're not disciplined like our own. And I think that's where a lot of the trying comes in for those of us who work diligently with them. Um, It's very well supported by our own congregation, which we're very thankful for. We have a lot of different um, families and couples that help out. I want to share just a few stories. Um, One was of a boy who had been coming around, had been um, kind of a problem child, getting in fights. We've had, I don't want to talk about the fights, but we've had fights break out. Obviously, we break them up and we talk to them each individually, apologize, things like that. But he was not the most well-behaved child. But he hadn't been coming around to outreach for a while, for a couple seasons. Um, Like I said, we have it in the fall and the spring. And one day he showed up at church. Some of our kids do come to church regularly, Sunday school. Some of them do not. Most of them do not. But most of them are regular at coming to outreach. He came. He showed up at church one day and said that um, one of his friends had committed suicide. And um, the only thing, one of the first places he came was a church. And I didn't really know this boy very well. And it was just so touching to my heart to, for me to think, you know, how many times have I said, Lord, oh my goodness, I, I just wish he wouldn't come. He's such a problem. But that seed was planted in his life, and that was one of the first places he came, and that's all our mission is. That's all we want to do. We have three children who have been coming for a number of years, and they have some family problems. Some of them have not been coming at all anymore. But because they're part of our group, because we view them as a part of our church, A lot of our younger girls who maybe who can't come to outreach all the time have started calling them, saying, you know, we really miss seeing you. We really miss being around you, our unconverted young girls in our church. And I think it's a great way to witness to them, to show ways that they can outreach to the community. One thing that we do, um, one small thing that kind of goes along with our outreach program, um, when someone new moves into the community, our youth group has um, kind of started doing this tradition a little bit, we have some real estate agents in our church, and they've been able to give us a listing of the new families that have moved into the community in the past six months. And our youth group puts together a basket with a Bible, times of our services, the activities that we do at our church, the Bible studies, to encourage them and to um, just let, us, let them know that we're here. If they have a church or if they want to check out our church to find out and invite them to outreach as well. Um, I just ask that you would continue to pray for our ministry as we deal with problems and issues, but that also seeds would be planted in these children, and that when something happens in their life and they don't know what to do or they don't know where to turn, that they would remember our church and remember what they learned out there. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much. Okay. There's something that we do back home that um, I guess in in some ways, or in many ways, is very similar to the outreach in in North Phoenix. And and maybe uh, they planted a seed in in us (laughs) uh, in a way to to do something similar. But approximately six or seven years ago, um, Joanne and I really had a a burden to reach out in the community um, which is close to Kitchener where I have my business. Uh, there were some circumstances that I don't really want to get into that that sort of prompted that, but we really felt that, that we wanted to do something. Also felt that we needed, uh, you know, it wasn't something we wanted to do alone, that we wanted to have another couple that might share that same interest and desire. And we did, uh, a short time later, find uh, someone that did have that same desire to reach out and began talking about um, uh, a, a ministry that would reach out to the community uh, you know, close to where I was working. And um, um, in the process of time, it became called The Lighthouse. And this here is just a picture, um, the most recent picture uh, back in May of all the children that come to this program. I'm going to tell you a little bit about that. First of all, as we began to talk, we, we wanted to give ourselves a name. Um, I found out that in North Phoenix they, didn't, they don't have a name, so I suggested, well, maybe they could use our name if they'd like. But uh, we really prayed about this and, and, and had different ideas going around. And then thought of a lighthouse and how, um, what a, a good um, name that would be in the sense that you know we know a lighthouse is something that, that's up on a rock, close to the ocean, there to prevent uh, you know, ships from crashing into the rocks. And couldn't help but think that a lot of, especially children, but people in general, are wandering out on life's sea, being tossed around, um, they really need a lighthouse. Uh, you know, they need a light to, to help them from crashing into the rocks and, and you know, being hurt or harmed by that. And obviously Jesus, um, the light of the gospel, is that lighthouse and hence our name. The mission, the mission that uh, you know, we really felt that we would have would be, as was uh, stated by Sister Marie, just to plant some seeds you know in um, people 's lives by showing them god 's love and, and sharing you know the gospel message with them, Corinthians we can read that we need to you know one sows and uh, you know another waters and it 's God that gives the increase and so we firmly believe that you know the seeds that we sow, even though we may not even necessarily be the ones that do a lot of the watering and never see them really grow that you know, God is going to add his blessing to what we do and that in due time, you know, there will be a harvest. The other need that we really identified uh, and felt strongly about was that um, people in our church, young and old, really need to have opportunities, you know, to get involved. And, and while we, you know, there are a lot of um, things that they can get involved in the community that are good and great, we felt that there would be a need for people to get involved with something that was within, you know, the church family by people that were in the church, and it's something that they could feel comfortable with and, and be a part of. And so, you know, the Bible says that that we should, um, you know, be supporting, you know, one another, and uh, you know, as we have opportunity to do good. Um, just adding to this, it was also something that we felt we wanted to do as a family, something that we could include our children with. And uh, you know, we're really thankful that over the you know, six years that we've been doing this, that our children have been with us there all along and are very much a part of the ministry that we're doing. Okay. Our vision was, was really one in which we you know when we first started to talk about this, we had all kinds of uh, ideas, you know, things that we felt that we could do. And we began with an after school program, and uh, that has been going on for six years. And uh, this uh, fall, we'd like to initiate an additional day when we have uh, what we're going to call a Bible day, and it'll be much like a Bible club, uh, probably with the same children, those that would like to come, but uh, geared much more, uh, you know, along, you know, centered completely around the Bible and that teaching. Uh, some of the visions that we had for the future, and these are ideas that, that you might consider or other people might consider things, you know, to do. And that is, uh, you know, having a Friday night, uh, you know, teen program geared specifically for teens. Um, you know, as we've gotten to know these children, um, you know, there's opportunity, obviously, to get more involved with their lives outside of what we're doing. And so it would be like a big brother, big sister, where you really take an interest and do things with them you know, to show God's love. A summer camp, and I, you know, I've ha- I have this idea, this vision of, of you know, organizing, you know, with, with our the kids that we have a summer camp in which we could possibly include young people from you know different churches that might be looking for something to do in the summer, you know, to go there to do the canvassing, to do the preparation, and then and then to you know conduct the you know a VBS or a summer camp. Um, adult Bible studies, uh, you know, just introducing the Lord to people, you know, do something with you know, moms and their, their young children, parenting classes, there's no shortage of ideas of, of things that we can really do, and all of those uh, you know, were part of our vision. But the after-school program began in 1996, and uh, we, we have it every Friday, um, you know, about from uh, October, the beginning of October, right through the end of May, and so for most of the school year. Um, we've targeted the age group of 6 to 12. Occasionally we have you know, some a little bit younger than that come, and uh, also some a little bit older. And typically some of the kids that, that have come uh, you know, and stayed with us, you know, as they get older, you know, they keep coming, and, and we almost begin to use them as volunteers. Uh, started with, I think, 6 or 7 kids. Um, it's grown continuously, and uh, you know, we have, on an average, 40 children that come every time, uh, sometimes as many as, as 50 you know, children that are there. The program is basically one in which the children come. And I, I'd just like to share briefly with you that you know, we, we, we asked the Lord to provide us a place and had some places picked out and nothing seemed to be coming together. And then all of a sudden, um, you know, just happened to check out a Salvation Army building at the end of the business, you know, the road where my business is, And uh, like, you know, a stone's throw away from the school. Never been in the building before. And I I went in there just on the off that it might work out. Couldn't believe it. They had a gym. They had classrooms. Everything was there that, you know, that was perfect for what we were wanting, you know, to do. And they were very open and accommodating to, you know, let us use their facility for this purpose. So we had the children come right after school. They just come charging down the hill, um, you know, like it's, you know, it's... It's a part of them you know, to, to, to be there and um, you know they come we, we, you know we, we sign them in, we'd like to know who's there and keep track of that. and then we, we offer them snacks you know and, and try to keep that you know a little bit on the nutritious side and a lot of them you know literally are hungry you know, for that as well. So at the beginning there is a, a time of just snacks and, and a little bit of free time when they can play um, different uh, games. Um, go ahead. We have ping pong tables, air hockey. Um, you know, we have a sister in our church that does gymnastics with the kids. Uh, you know, board games, a lot of one-on-one and some group games. You know, that are going on, and so that uh, snack and, and game time takes uh, about 45 minutes. At which time, then we we move into what for us is probably the most important time, and that is the focus time. We divide the children into two groups. And have a focus leader and do a focus lesson which, with them, which essentially is um, a Bible lesson, a story from the Bible, or or a topic or a theme as it relates to the Bible. Um, and uh, the time for that is you know anywhere from ten to twenty minutes, sometimes even longer. And uh, it's it's amazing, just especially with the younger children, to see how you know, attentive and willing they are to, you know, to listen. For many of them, um, this is all new. They, they have not, you know, heard Bible stories. Uh, you know, they don't have Bibles. You know, it's not a part, they've never been to church. Um, you know, we've had some, you know, where telling them the Christmas story is the very first time that they've heard it, which is kind of hard to believe, but it is true. Just like to um, add to that last one, the focus time um, came across a really interesting. Uh, Joanna did recently saying that uh, goes like this: I learned to love my teacher, and then I learned to love my teacher's God. And you know that applies not just to what we're doing here; it applies to Sunday school, It applies in a lot of areas of our lives. That um, you need to connect with people, you need to connect with you know these children. And as you do that and, and show that you care, that you're willing to take some time out of your busy day and uh, you know, set, you know, do whatever it is that you care for them, as they see that love, they'll begin to love your God as well. After the focus time, uh, you know, we have a few things going on. One of them is uh, crafts. We um, you know, have a craft every week. Um, this is something that you know, takes preparation. It is something that we can involve other people, even in our church, uh, with you know, that, that don't necessarily have to be there. They can prepare the craft. And uh, you know, it's it just small, simple. It doesn't take long. A lot of times we will try to you know, maybe you know, connect a scripture verse with it, but just something that they can enjoy, and it's, it's part of their activity. So a lot of this is, is very similar to you know, what you might do in a VBS. Um, except we do this then on a weekly basis all through the school year. Also, uh, being that we have a gym, which is you know really you know uh, a highlight for the kids, we split them up in two different groups, and uh, take you know the younger children, and then the older children, those that want to uh, can go down to the gym, and uh, you know we'll play floor hockey, you know basketball, uh, you know just. Uh, different games, that you know, that they enjoy and just interact with the kids. Uh, they really seem to enjoy that. At the same time, um, you know, there are other activities. The, the craft is going on. They can still play the air hockey, uh, the gymnastics, uh, you know, whatever they, you know, really enjoy to do, it's, it's, it's all there for them. And uh, at times we, uh, or every week we try to have a, a you know, video showing too, um, you know, a few kids will go to that and just sit down and watch a video that is, you know, Bible-based and teaching them a good lesson. Go ahead. One thing that we did from the very beginning uh, at Christmas time, we, we we thought it would be a neat idea to have a Christmas dinner for the kids and their families. And so we invite the, the children to come with their parents and, and siblings, and it's you know really turned out great. Uh, you know, just to have them there, share a meal. Um, for many of them, it's a meal that you know they're not used to having Um, you know we we go all out and uh, you know we have people from church helping us which which is is part of what we want to do as well and um, you know and use that opportunity to share the Christmas story with them as well um, and uh, do some singing. Another thing that we've uh, done uh, in the summer is, is set a day aside for the older kids to do an outing at a local conservation area where you know, we just take some of the, the older children that are interested, and uh, you know, some of our young people spend a day with them you know, doing some outdoor activities and uh, you know, just uh, you know, showing an interest in their lives. Another key thing that uh, you know, we, we feel a need to do and have done from the very beginning is hand out Bibles. Um, we use different Bibles, as you can see here, age-appropriate. Um, Give them you know, to the children, you know, those that want them, and most of the time all of them do want a Bible. Many of them do not have a Bible. It's really neat to be able to see these uh, children then. Um, you know, they come back the next week and tell us you know, they've been reading their Bible, or, or my dad or mom is reading the Bible to me. And uh, you know, we believe this is an important part of being able to you know, plant that seed in their lives as well. Um, This has been a challenging experience, especially at the beginning. You know, we we really didn't have, uh, you know, what we felt was a model to follow. So, you know, we built this from scratch, and there were a lot of challenges. As Sister Marie said, uh, these kids can be very difficult to handle sometimes. One of the biggest challenges we faced at the beginning was just keeping them in line, uh, you know, selling them down, and, and being able to control, you know, like, 30, 40, you know, kids and more, you know, in this kind of an atmosphere. But, uh, you know, with God's help, um, you know, as we learned different things and and prayed about it, we could see a huge, you know, difference from when we began to now, and and it really is amazing. Um, And obviously a challenge, as always, with any type of ministry is having the people there to do it. God has always, we, we always felt that if God would provide us a place, provide us the children and provide us the volunteers, we knew that he wanted us to keep going with this. And he has done that. Although we feel that if we had more people involved with it, we could do it much more effectively. You know, and the success that we feel that has been there has been certainly those in which you know, we have instilled, we believe, a spiritual awareness in these children's lives and planting seeds You know, to... Uh, make them aware of um, God and what He wants to do in their lives. We have the trust of the children. Um, you know they, you know they'll share things with you that you know you'd be surprised at sometimes, and uh, you know they they consider this to be a highlight in their week, and we also have the confidence you know of the parents. You know they they send their children there. Uh, sometimes they even use uh, our program as a discipline. If their kids aren't good, they can't go to the lighthouse, um, and the the Community, especially the school, has been extremely supportive. You know, um, normally, you know, you can't do anything that's connected to Christianity, but the school, by us, uh, you know, they, every year at the beginning of the year, they hand out our flyer to all the kids. They'll announce this program. They know what it's about, um, but they, you know, they, they support it as being something that's very beneficial in the community and uh, good. And as I said, the growth has been from the very beginning, which uh, in children that we're very thankful for. This time I'd like to uh, turn it over to another, um, to Brother Gary Tomek, who's going to share about another ministry that has been going on.
2: I'm not sure... um what they call those that are um, offenders that, that break the law here in the U.S., I think it's juvenile offenders. In, in Canada, they call them young offenders. These are people that are under the age of 18 that commit some sort of crime, you know, stealing cars, break and enter, um, sometimes, uh, you know, some violent crime. Um, and the way they do that in Canada is they have uh, two stages. Once the, the youth is caught, they're put into what's called a closed facility. This is a place where, I mean, the windows got bars over it. The, you know, the yard is fenced in, um, and you know, it's contained. Once they've proved themselves in their behavior and there is remarkable improvement, they're then moved in what's called an open custody, and that's what Anchor House is. Um, it's a co-ed facility um, for both uh, girls and, and boys um, that have committed the crimes. They are now in the last phase before they're released into the public, and this is a picture of the actual house. Um, It's actually run by an organization, a private organization. It's a Christian organization. It's not run by the government. What the government does is, um, I'm not sure exactly how the payment system works. It's on a per-child basis because a private institution can do it much more efficiently than a government institution. And so this organization, uh, Umbrella Organization, runs a number of homes around the Kitchener-Waterloo area, and uh, this being one of them. And a number of uh, years ago, back... So in this case, they try to, the reason they do a whole bunch of different homes is they want it small and more individual. They don't want a big institution. And so in this case, the, the, the number of residents are typically, you know, range in the low end of about 3 or 4 up to high end of 10 or 11, something like that. Um, and the, 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 the length of a stay ranges anywhere from a week to up to 9 months in the open facility in, for example, Anchor House. Um, the way it began was back in 1995. Uh, there was a, one of the sisters in our church worked there as a, uh, was a staff member there, and they were looking for a chapel group as a Christian organization. Um, they were interested in, in in holding a chapel time for the kids. Now it becomes a little bit sticky, of course, because it is a, a public institution per se, and you know they didn't want the staff members holding the chapel time, so they asked for a volunteer group to come in. Um, and so that's how it started. Um, there was a group approached in our church, and we started every second Thursday. And eventually, because there was enough volunteers and enough interest, that was moved to once a week, every Thursday evening. And typically the way we do it is we have two, two volunteers, two believers from our church that would go there in an evening. And um, what happens is we, we typically go there from 7.30 on a Thursday night, and this year they have a, a living room, so they have couches in a, in a U-shape. And in, during the wintertime, we usually have a, an icebreaker, some sort of activity, group game, and what it does is it really opens the lines of communication. I mean, if you try to come in there right off the bat and start, you know, trying to talk from the Bible, <laughs> she doesn't work very well. Um, so if you have some sort of group game, like Pictionary or, you know, just some, you know, the, the king of the couch or all kinds of different group games that we use, um, it really... Um, opens the lines of communication. During the summer, we typically go outside. We play basketball with them sometimes or um, hockey. And then, so that goes on for about an hour. And then the last half hour from 8.30 till 9, we typically have what what they call chapel time. And that's a time where we... um, That's a time where we typically hold... Take some Bible story, for example, a parable of Jesus or a, a true account from the Old Testament, and we try to get them to read from their Bibles. They have Bibles there that we read through the account or certain key verses, and then we have a discussion on it, trying to keep it relevant on their level. We, uh, we often use um, videos as well or testimonies. Uh, there are times uh, I take testimonies from camp. For example, uh, a couple of years ago, Brother John Gerhart shared his testimony. I've used that a number of times there. That's very effective. Also, other testimonies of people who have went through their experience, who have gone through jail, have experienced conversion, and um, also things on uh, drugs and, and, and suicide, the, the effects of media, and it often provokes a very interesting discussion. Um, also, what's also effective is some of the people in our church who have experienced that come and share their testimony in person, and that often is uh, very effective. The challenge we faced when we first went there is how do we get it on their level? Um, a number of these people have never set foot inside of a church. That was hard for me to believe. So this is not like teaching Sunday school. Um, and it probably took us about a year before we could finally you know, get it onto their level and not, you know, speak terminology that we use in church where a lot of people, you know, conviction. To them, a conviction is they were convicted by the judge, right? And so it, it, was, a, it was hard to get rid of that lingo. And, and there are still times where, you know, you, as a chapel leader, you're, you're holding the chapel time. And the second volunteer picks up saying, you know, I used the term that they wouldn't know. And so that's the purpose why we have at least, we try to have two people there just uh, to help make sure it is on their level and just to address any questions or, or things that come up. Um, sometimes they don't like chapel time, and the reason they're there is to create trouble. I mean, they're young kids, they're teenagers, and they want to see how they can disrupt it. It is volunteer. They don't have to be there. The alternative is they have to go up to their room. Um, and, uh, but it's not a challenge. I mean, sitting in your room doing nothing, they'd rather be in chapel time, even if they didn't want to be there. So sometimes it's, it's tough. The dis- discussion doesn't always go well. Um, fortunately, a staff member is there, so typically we don't have any discipline problems in the sense that, you know, things get out of hand that way. There's more of interruptions and just, you know, the discussion isn't progressing. Um, sometimes they're just distracted. The events of the day, you know, they've had a bad day. There's been some, you know, some escape. People have run away. Um, you know, those sorts of things. And it's just tough to, uh, they can't focus. Um, what we tried, our, our original intention was to try to integrate them with our church youth eventually, but that was really difficult. One of the reasons is is that they are in custody. I can't just go in there. I'm a volunteer. I can't go in there and you know take them out with me to go to church. What has to happen is they have to get a staff member, um, and again, staff is short. So you know bringing them to church wasn't always an option. And when they did come, we tried to integrate them in you know the youth group. But you have a whole group of these kids coming to church. First of all, you know, CFG, again, is not on their level. The lingo is being used that they don't really understand. And um, it's just, they're, they're just really felt out of place. And um, so we really haven't come up with a good solution for that. Um, and what we've decided is, you know, God has called us to plant seeds in their heart. You know, every Thursday we go there. And uh, we allow, God, we, you know, rely that God will bring growth to that seed in a time in their life when they do run into issues and problems when they're at the end of their rope. Um, It was interesting, uh, maybe it was a year ago, I was downtown in Kitchener, and this young man came up to me and says, hey, you're the chapel guy, aren't you? And I'm like, I have no idea who this guy is, right? And I mean, I said, I'm not sure what you mean. He goes, yeah, don't you remember at Anchor House? Oh, yeah. He said, yeah, years ago, I remember, you know, that you did chapel time. I still remember those times. And, you know, it was interesting that, I mean, it's probably three years since he had been in Anchor House, and that he still recognized and, you know, still remembered that time. Um, there are victories as well. Um, there are some really uh, neat experiences that we've made. Uh, as I mentioned, sometimes the youth are there to cause trouble. Typically what happens is when they're newly introduced, when, they, when they're a new resident at Anchor House, chapel time is new to them, and so, you know, they create problems. They have a lot of questions, and the, the, they're... they're um, Just trying to create problems, and this one youth named Joel, he was uh, a real troublemaker. And um, it was interesting to note the change over time. He was there probably about six months or so, and from the time he came in to the time he left, he was a completely different person. You wouldn't recognize that he was the same person. Now, it's not just due to our chapel times, absolutely not, because it is a Christian organization. The staff members there are Christians, Um, but when he The last chapel time he was there, we just got a whole batch of new young people that came in, new residents, and they were causing trouble too. And halfway through the discussion, things just weren't going well. Joel suddenly speaks up, and he was was a big guy. And I guess they established their pecking order. I'm not sure exactly how that works, but, you know, when he spoke, the others listened. (laughs) And, um, you know, he said, you know, guys, I was like you when I came in here. I was causing trouble. I doubted everything they were saying. He says, now, six months later, he says, I believe in God. Um, I'm going to change my life. And he says, just, you know, listen to them, what they're telling you, they care about you. And that made, (laughs) those few words that he said made more difference than, you know, (laughs) what I could have said in in the half hour that we were there. And there are times where the discussion is really on their level and it goes way over time. I mean, more than an hour sometimes. And they're just question after question. And sometimes even after the formal part of chapel is over, they have break time. There are some kids that stay behind. And, you know, just one-on-one we can, you know, just talk about some of the challenges they're facing. Most of these kids come from broken homes. That is not in the picture. Um, you know, their parents, they were in an accident. You know, their parents didn't really want them. And, um, you know, it's... It, they really have some serious issues to work through. Um, so the number of volunteers, we it's all from our church, uh, believers from our church. We, we, that was one of the things when we went in there. It is a Christian organization, but what, what we did ask is saying that the chapel time would be ours. Uh, we did have some issues in the past where there were other Christian volunteers that would join in the chapel time, and sometimes there were some differences and things, and it made things a little bit uncomfortable. And so what we asked for was, you know, Thursday night, if you want us to do chapel, you know, let's allow our group to do that. If you want another night for a chapel time from another group, that's fine. And they complied, and it's worked really well for us. Um, and it really is a joy to work with these children. Um, it's not a, you know, responsibility in the sense, you know, here comes Thursday night, I don't know, you know, I have to go to Anchor House tonight. Um, so, sometimes the the feeling of joy and fulfillment after an evening, especially when it goes well, it's... Indescribable. It is a real blessing, and I know a number of the volunteers that go there, brothers and sisters from our church, have you know shared that with me as well. That that is one of their highlights of the week. That's about all.
0: Okay, we are rapidly running out of time here. this desire to reach out is not something that is new. I think it's been around probably forever among Christians and certainly in our churches too. Uh, just recently, a brother at home shared with me some uh, information he had read from a brother's meeting back in 1948 when the brothers seriously discussed the need you know to reach out and, and you know, domestically and, and evangelize and um, we don't have a lot of time, brother Bob. I, I feel happy that uh, you know, I have to make this short, but Brother Bob is going to share something that he was a part of in Mansfield um, at the beginnings of a radio ministry that is still going on today as just another way that we can reach out into our community.
3: Thinking about outreach when I was a kid was as foreign as uh, anything could be. It was really thinking out of the box, completely out of the box. Um, but I remember after I was converted in 1948, probably the following year, 1950, uh, a guy at work said, where do you go to church? And it was very easy to tell people where he went to church because the biggest church in town was St. Pete's Catholic, which was right across the street. And I said, well, I go to uh, the Apostolic Christian Church, catty corner from St. Pete's up on First and Mulberry. Oh, yeah, he said, I-, I know where it is, but he said, that's kind of some kind of closed order, isn't it? Not everybody's allowed to go there. And, and I was floored until I really thought about it afterwards, and that was true. So it bothered me really a lot. And I uh, purposed then to talk to our elder, Brother Tony Betts. Uh, it, it, it was an obsession of mine, all I thought about day and night, that this man should think about us that way. So I shared it with Brother Tony, and, and I'm laughing because he said, you know, I'm going to pray about this, and then I'll get back to you in a couple of weeks. A couple of weeks he called me after aside after a service said, you know what? And he said, I want to tell you ahead of time, they are going to be 29, or, or the group was going to be the oldest brothers in the church. And I thought to myself, come on, don't stack the cards against me that high. You know, that that, that can't you have somebody else there that, but I'll tell you, that taught me that anything that is going to work uh, is, is going to work when it has the support of those uh, older brothers in the church. So we had our meeting, and I poured out my heart to them, and, and I wept. I really did. Yes. Do I have to? Anyway, um, make a long story short, and I can't anymore. Um, I poured out my heart to them. Uh, and we ended up weeping together. And when the role was called, what about this radio idea, 28 out of the 29 were emphatically, yes, let's do this thing. Um, we decided it needed to reflect the, the uh, environment in the church, the kind of music the church sang in the church, uh, the uh, kind of messages that they would hear in the church. Uh, and we decided that it should simply be very little narration, tying together music that had already been put on tape by the choir, and when the radio broadcast was approved, the choir uh, spent considerable amount of time making tapes of, of the singing. Was that a good program? Sure it was. Uh, it is Still is. If I go back to Mansfield and I visit in the hospital uh, some brethren or sisters that might be there I would guess that the uh, Christian Friendship Hour is on more than half of the radio stations that are playing at that hour in the hospital. The negative side of it is it's too impersonal, in my opinion. And please, I'm not judging the brethren in Mansfield because I wasn't any different when I was there working with it. The the title, uh, Reaching Out by Reaching In, is terribly appropriate because unless you can really reach in personally into lives of people, forget it. No, please don't forget it. Go broadcast the seed. And that's what a radio broadcast does. It broadcasts the seed. But let me tell you, any of you have a garden that you just put the peas in the ground and forget it till you go out to can them? Of course not. You hoe in the rows and you, 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 you weed in between and whatever else. It's the personal... Time that is spent with individual people that is is the payoff in the long term that we can see there is much payoff obviously that we will never see we 're not called to convert people that 's the holy spirit 's job we 're called to tell people share people the gospel uh, I know it 's late one other thing that I want to share you with, with you that I think personal uh, reaching in uh, really was paying off for uh, us in Syracuse. We have a, an old folks' home right down the end of our road where we drive into the church. And the ladies of the church every year have a harvest dinner for them. And they come. All 35 of them come. They, 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 even if you have to wheel them in, they, come, they enjoy it. It's a social kind of an evening. But it ended up giving us entree into that group in a very personal way. Uh, uh, Brother Dave is often there uh, by their request to have a Bible class with them. We go to sing for them once, sometimes more than that, a month. But then a neat thing happened that I want to share with you, if, if you can sit that long. The mind will only absorb what the seat will endure. But, but it, it identifies or uh, shows us what the personal touch has to do. Uh, a sister decided uh, that maybe two or three sisters or at least a couple of families, should have Thanksgiving dinner in the home with the people. And then when Frida started to investigate how many people would be there, there were only going to be two people. We were surprised that every other one of those persons, except the two, had a place to go for Thanksgiving. So we decided to bring those two people uh, to our Thanksgiving dinner. And when Frida went to pick them up, two ladies, there was a man standing in the corner, and she said, where are you going for Thanksgiving? She said, I don't have a place to go. She said, oh yeah, you do. Get in the van. So Brownie came to Thanksgiving dinner along with the other ladies, the, the other two ladies. And because we gorged ourselves with turkey, as a lot of people do, um, we decided we're going to have an intermission between dinner and, and, and dessert. And so... Mom got the idea. Tell us about yourself. Let's each one talk about what we have to be thankful for. And and our guests should introduce themselves. And when it came Brownie's turn, Brownie said these words. He said, my name is Jim Brown. Folks call me Brownie. And he said, I'm on a journey, and I don't know where I'm going. And then he explained that. He said, you see, I was diagnosed two years ago with terminal cancer. And you could tell by his face he still had it. And I thought to myself, man. This guy's got to know at least where he's going. But what happened as a result of that was many uh, brothers taking an interest in Brownie, uh, taking him to lunch, uh, and sharing with him the gospel on a very personal basis. Brownie came to church as often as he could drive his flivver down the road, couldn't walk anymore. And when he couldn't anymore, we simply took the church to Brownie. From Thanksgiving dinner... Until Easter, when Brownie was now in the last bed he'd ever lay in. Uh, many people, brothers in particular, and others who came to sing for him, personally uh, wanted to make sure that Brownie knew where he was going. And uh, on Good Friday evening, I paid him a visit. He said, Bob, I had a dream. And he said, I dreamt that I had died. And I ended up in heaven. And I met my grandmother there who had been a, a stalwart Wesleyan Methodist grandmother. Uh, and, and he said, then you know what? He said, then I woke up. And he had a horrible amount of pain in his last, hours, uh, last days. And he said, you know how disappointed I was to come back here. And I realized that he had no fear of death, that l- the Lord had really redeemed him. And I said, you know what, <clears throat> Brownie, one of these days, You're going to fall asleep and you're never going to wake up and you're going to be with Grandma and the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. He said, I know that with all my heart. So on Easter Day, uh, a few of us um, went to visit him. And uh, when we walked in the room, he had the hymn book open on the bed. And uh, we came there to sing for him. And we sang out of of our hymn book. And then he said, would you would you sing one of my favorite hymns? And he said, sure. And he said, I-, I want you to sing for me the old rugged cross. And that was his favorite hymn because he sang every verse from, from memory and then said how thankful he was that he knew that in, in a short time he was going to spend eternity with the Christ who hanged on that cross. And, you know, it was, <clears throat> it was so touching. One by one, we lost our singers. They, they, they just were overwhelmed and, Some of them walked out the door. But the point is, that I'm trying to make is, the the, the reaching in is the time that takes the sacrifice. The outreach doesn't. Oh, yeah, sure, you make all kinds of flyers, you make all kinds of things. And when it's all over, you say, oh, thank God for the opportunity. We broadcast the seed in the neighborhood. That's when the work starts, not when it ends. You got to broadcast it too. But that's only the bare beginning of what needs to happen And people need to be loved personally. You have to become their friend personally. And then you can send your personal best friend into their lives by sharing with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Took too much time, I know. Got to get personal.
0: Thanks. And we are out of time. I think that is an excellent uh, note to end on. Uh, You've been looking at some possibilities here. There are many more If you look around you, um, you'll see them. If you look up to God and pray, he will show them. And uh, whether it's a group, whether it's an individual basis, um, we're called to do whatever we can. Not only to sow the seed, but to water it, trusting that God will give the increase. Uh, We don't have time for questions, but feel free to ask any of us questions. Um, I put a poster up of just some other pictures of uh, the ministry
2: that we run And there's some flyers there on the table as well. And thank you for being here.